So, Michaela was supposed to preach today. Obviously, she is gone. And then they were going to switch with Caleb Johnson, uh, a natural choice, and he is with the children today. Uh, and of course, the Haineses are, are also out of town, which I didn't realize at the time when I agreed to switching. So, <laughs> all, all that to say, I am not, well, I, I am, but I wasn't terribly excited about having the Beatitudes to be what I'm preaching on today. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've heard the Beatitudes read in church many, many, many times. And I've heard multiple sermons on them, backwards and forwards, literal and metaphorical, and frankly, um, when I first approached it, I just felt like they, they're just, they're played out. And I even looked up some of the words in there, you know, to see, oh, well, maybe it's used differently somewhere else, and maybe it doesn't really mean what it looks like it means. But you know what? It does. Um, it does. The words, the words in the Beatitudes are used throughout the New Testament, and they pretty much mean the same thing throughout. I mean, poor is poor, spirit is spirit, mourn is mourn. You're not, you're not going to pull anything from a word study, especially from the Beatitudes. Um, and then, yeah, and then on top of that, we had to plan, I wanted, you know, I wanted us to all have a nice handout still today, so we had to do some early planning so that Emily could do it last week before she left, and so we're sitting at, at the Haynes' house, and it's like, okay, Caleb, what are you preaching on next week? Well, I'm preaching on the Beatitudes, but what am I preaching on? I don't know, and I guess in a moment of pure contempt for me, the Spirit told me I should preach on holiness. So uh, here we are. So somehow, yet again, I've managed to, on a week when Caleb and or Emily are out of town, I'm going to put myself in danger of heresy and being expelled from my denomination. Um, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but as I really did focus on that topic in this passage, it actually made a lot of sense, and I pulled kind of a lot of things out of it. I also imagine that, <laughs> you know, I, I've gone once to get a minister's license, and you go to this room, and it was all men then, it probably still is, a bunch of dudes who've been in ministry for 25, 30, 35 years, whatever, and I imagine myself having a nightmare, sitting down at the table, and one of them says, what can you tell us about holiness as it can be found in the Beatitudes? And I'm pretty sure the only answer to that is to walk up stand up and walk out without saying a word <laughs> because you're not getting out of there alive. In some ways, I still feel that way today, that I should just sit down. Um, not only because of that, but because the passage, Matthew 5, it's on the page before, and we'll read it in just a minute here. You know, it's mostly the direct words of Jesus. And I heard some people talk about how um, if you say you're a holy person, you might get accused of pride. And it's hard to not feel that way for me, trying to sort of expound upon or improve upon the very words of Jesus. But here we are. I already mentioned heresy, so we'll see what happens. So let's read our gospel reading today from Matthew 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. One thing I, I didn't put in the questions, and um, maybe it was on purpose, maybe it wasn't, but when I think about holiness, I think about a saint. And I think that's maybe a pretty common thing for us to, to focus on or think about whatever a saint may look like, whoever your favorite saint may be. And we, we think of those saints as being perfect. And so I want to start today by making it very clear that holiness does not mean perfection. Again, something I heard many people talking about. And I think that that's also the most misunderstood thing about the Nazarene belief of entire sanctification. Entire sanctification also does not mean perfection. Should I say it one more time? Entire sanctification does not mean perfection. That's not what it's about. The saints were just like us. They were fully human. They had a different calling. They maybe reached a different level or place of holiness, so to speak, but they were just like us. When we think about the saints, the reason we think of them as perfect is because, frankly, they're dead. And in that death, most likely we believe that they reached, that that is when they reached their perfection, was in death. But we're still here. And so today, I don't want to talk about death, but of life. When we talk about perfection, and we do use that word a lot, um, I was thinking of, I've been thinking of some of the things that maybe happened over the holidays. I know some of Zach's children helped with some of the baking. I think about story or daily or some of the kids playing soccer, maybe scoring a goal or showing good sportsmanship or making a good play, right? And, and in those moments, sometimes we look at a child and we might say that little phrase, perfect. You know, oh, you put the icing on the cupcake. That was great. Perfect. But when we say that it's perfect, we don't mean that that child has reached the pinnacle of their existence. We still expect them to grow and to mature, to increase their skills and to do even more because we understand and recognize that they're also still a child. We might recognize the perfection of their action or even of their heart in that moment, but that doesn't mean there isn't still growth to be made. Perhaps one day, that same child, instead of icing a cupcake, will ice an entire cake. And hopefully in that moment, we too can say, perfect. And Paul writes about this maturity later on in the New Testament, and it's when he admonishes Christians for still clinging to spiritual milk when he knows, just as well as they do, that they've outgrown it and that they should be eating, partaking of better things. 
The other thing about the Beatitudes versus perhaps the saints is that Jesus doesn't deliver these Beatitudes in a synagogue or to a certain special group, to his disciples or to Sadducees or Pharisees. He delivers them on a mountaintop. He delivers them in the countryside. He delivers them to a crowd of growing people that are simply coming to hear Jesus talk. He delivers them to commoners, good Jews or good Christians, who go to synagogue or their weekly kaleo service, and they keep the Torah or they keep all the commandments that they have. He delivers the Beatitudes to the lay people, to all of you and all of us, and to me. Personally, and this, this one might not be heresy, but I don't know the church's official stance, and I've said this to people in here, but I, I do truly believe that our salvation is only worked out with other people. Hopefully that means with other people in community, at least to some degree. And certainly that's one of the reasons I'm not more of a hermit, though I have been and could be. And it's not just because I think that other people need me, but it's also realizing how much I need other people. We have a great example because our God is three in one. By God's very nature, we're given that example of community. And I know you've heard that said in this very church. And we also will not, we cannot have a happy church if we, all of us, as the laity, are not also striving for holiness. And for certain, God demands it of us as well. He commands us, be holy as I am holy. That's not just a command or a challenge to us, but it's proof that God sees in us the capacity to do so, to be holy. For God would not command us to do what is impossible. I think, if anything, we can say about the saints that that is what set them on their path, their acceptance that they were worthy and capable of becoming holy. Not just in death, but in their life. And so this church, our church and the church at large, within it and beyond it, our community, perhaps not even in this church, is also vital to the Beatitudes. Someone, someone much wiser than me could probably do it for all of them, but I'm just going to do it for a few. But many of the Beatitudes can really only be fulfilled by our relationship to others. Blessed are those who mourn. What is there to mourn if we have no one to lose, if there's no one missing? What need do I have for meekness if my actions are all my own? if I'm not acting in relation to anyone else? How can we be merciful if we lock ourselves up in our homes and in our bubbles? If we do not venture out where life is lived and people hurt each other? What is the measure of the purity of my heart if I never face temptation? Why would one need to be a peacemaker if they're all alone? Who will come and even persecute us for our righteousness? if we are not involved in some sort of community. The Nazarene Manual makes sure to address the difference between being spiritually mature and being entirely sanctified as well. For one thing, entire sanctification is obtained in an instant. It is a moment. Whereas maturity takes grace and time. But that also 
the act of entire sanctification should impel us towards growth as a Christ-like disciple. What would be another way to describe this moment? Again, unofficially, kind of my own opinion, my way of describing it is like this. That it's when God grants us a peace apart from our sin. It's when our hearts are able to again look toward good fully. Again, not perfection, not saying that we can't look back towards evil, but simply that evil is no longer the main purview of our intention, that we find ourselves propelled towards good in a more meaningful way. As with contemplation, once you try to describe entire sanctification with words, you start to lose the meaning. And too much language can actually make our understanding worse. (laughs) And so in some ways, I'm comfortable not talking about entire sanctification, as I kind of said earlier. But luckily for me, the last synonym in the Nazarene manual for entire sanctification, in quotations, calls it Christian holiness. And that we can have some confidence in talking about. And it gives us that clear picture that entire sanctification is also part of our Christian holiness. Holiness does not come from us. We are made holy in proportion to the amount that God dwells in us. Yet we also know that God wishes to dwell in all of us completely. And so perhaps, like the saints, the only thing we need to be holy is the desire to be. And the faith that we will be. Holiness in general being a journey of maturity and entire sanctification being one point on that journey. The difficulty of holiness is that the more we grow in it, the more it costs us. The more we start to perceive it as being a burden because it is against our imperfect wills reaching instead towards God's will. The more you grow in holiness, the more you realize that just as your holiness does not come from you, so too does it leave you in absolute poverty, reliant only on the power of God to sustain you. As the laity to whom these beatitudes were given, God does not ask us to act as the saints acted, apart from perhaps a personal call, which is between you and God. But he does ask commands for all of us to be holy. Again, when we think of the saints, we think of their sometimes, seemingly at least, supernatural asceticism. Mother Teresa's shoes are proof enough for me. Despite how you may feel about her personally, I happen to enjoy shoes that are a little nicer. Not that nice, but nicer. Or I think of a Tibetan monk, self-immolating, and the incredible discipline it takes to force your body to not rebel in its natural ways. Or for me especially, I think of the monks at Gethsemane up in Kentucky who limit their food, their speech, and eliminate their idea of possessing something. Yet for us, we can rejoice and be glad Because the church leaves us, as laity, to be as we are, to raise our families and our children, to enjoy our friendships and our colleagues. We are not forced or even expected necessarily to learn holiness from stringent disciplines, 
but simply to be led by the Lord as the Lord leads us. We are expected to do the things common to laity. We read our Bibles, we participate in worship regularly, and we share communion, as we'll do today. That these things might provide for us the strength that we need to live in love. The Lord does not call us to give up all that we own. He might for you, but he doesn't call it to us generally. But to be merciful and poor in spirit. He does not ask us to continually starve ourselves, but to hunger for righteousness. Not to immolate ourselves, but to be peacemakers. Not to ignore our family's needs, but also to mourn and to be meek. And of course, to abandon ourselves to the cross. To bear witness to our other New Testament passage today, which we move forward, that of the cross being a symbol of foolishness. It was and is an act apart from us. And yet that cross, we cannot share in it by relaxing or by working, by thinking or thought or not thinking, or by any action or inaction of our own. We can only let go and accept its gift. But in abandoning ourselves to it, we find the total freedom to become holy and to be saints ourselves. Let's pray together, and then the kids will be back right about on time. Lord God, we gather today and we thank you so much for all of the words that you've given us in our Bibles, for the examples you've set us and the things you ask of us, Lord. Lord, we pray that you will continue to make us holy. Lord, we pray that you will dwell in us more and more, more mightily and more mightily, Lord. That we as Christians desire to be like you, Lord. Help us to act in the ways that you've given us, to enjoy the freedom that you've provided for us, and to always in our community act with love. Amen.